everyone and welcome to the Scotswehe um, 2013 Best Of uh, podcast and we're going to again do what we do pretty much every year, split it into section on film, section on books and section on music and um, resident film expert uh, Chris is here, hi Chris. Hello. And other things as well obviously. And uh, our music man for the day is Ryan Dreamer, um, reviewer from the list and bass player with Pause at the moment. And Ryan, thanks for coming along. Hello. I don't know I'm waving at the mic. But, uh, <laughs> that's good. And, uh, and I'm going to cover the books. I think that's the plan anyway. So we'll just kick off and see how we go. And we will also have our now legendary missive from Falkirk, uh, Ronnie Young's letter. It wouldn't be Christmas letter. being wound up by a doctor. It's basically, letter, it's an excuse to, to um, poke Chris with sticks, filmic yeah. sticks normally. Yeah. Um, but film, talking film, Chris, what was the kind of bet your favourite stuff of the year? Well, I think it's probably good to start by saying that it was a pretty strong, encouragingly strong year, I think, for Scotland in film. You know, there are mm. a few kind of quite high profile releases. Yeah. You know, obviously, like Sunshine on Leith did pretty well, and For Those in Peril was very well received. But the kind of the two that I want to focus on, because I think between them they kind of point their way forward for Scottish film is uh, Filth on the one hand right. and Shell on the other. Excellent. Um, I was going to talk about both of those. So yeah, yeah. Away. <laughs> because um, Filth. I didn't like much as a film but I was very heartened to see it do well because it shows that there's an appetite there for films made by Scots starring Scots based on Scottish books Uh, and if people put trust in it like if financiers put trust in it and just let people you know take chances like that and put trust in an audience to go see it an audience will seek it out I mean you saw it it broke box office records up here it had like one of the biggest opening weekends of the year in Scotland you know it had it opened up here a week before it opened down south and it did you know cracking business it it was top of the box office for that weekend it just did yeah it did great business and it kept it hung around for ages and it felt like a real kind of zeitgeisty thing you know Irvin Welsh and James McAvoy were everywhere plugging it and it felt like you know it felt like a real moment you know Um, as I say I had problems with the film itself I didn't think it was any great shakes but I do think that it was yeah like I say it was heartening to see it do well Shell on the other hand it was almost the opposite problem I think very few people saw it but I thought it was good enough to stand up to like the best of any international cinema Uh, let's talk about Phil first we're going to show because I want to talk about both have you seen Phil I've seen Phil yeah Yeah. I've Shell but what did you think of Phil I have to please uh, general ignorance here and say that I did not read the book prior to seeing the film Um, but my girlfriend had and she was going on about it and essentially told me everything that happened uh, (laughs) before I went to see it but um, in a way that was kind of good because it kind of set me up for things and kind of left room for some surprises and I really enjoyed it I I thought like I love uh, Scottishness I like Edinburgh Mm. Um, I like you know um, a lot of what um, Irvin Welsh throws into his books and surprisingly I actually have realised I quite like James McAvoy as well I (laughs) I think McAvoy is brilliant (laughs) absolutely brilliant I actually really liked it Okay. really liked it um, yeah. one because I didn't think it was going to work I think that was the thing the book is, is uh, a difficult book to, to get on screen um, I, and the way that they dealt with the Tate one character was I was going to say that yeah yeah it was pretty interesting I thought he was great as well um, I keep forgetting his name Jim, Jim Rod that's it that's one of the ones I've written down on my list of names yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, the cast in it as well where you know Kate Dickey um, Jamie Bell John, great to see John Sessions back again doing stuff and 
James McAvoy is fantastic in it, but everyone else is great in it as well. Yeah, regardless of my problems with the rest of the film, yeah, McAvoy is like one of the performances of the year for me. So yeah. he's totally fearless in it, and he totally goes for it. You know, it's really it's fully committed performance, and he's really for a guy who's not necessarily overwhelmingly you know macho in his previous roles or anything like this, or overwhelmingly masculine. He really kind of is good at that. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's a like, terrible, horrible kind of masculinity, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, a really yeah. rotting kind of... Yeah, uh, exactly, which is something that I don't think he'd necessarily previously associated with McAvoy, but it's definitely, he really nails it in this. Yeah. Really I, I'm interested then, um, I don't want to spend too long with because we've got a lot of stuff to get through, but why you didn't, what you didn't like about it? I thought, uh, I just thought it was... It, trying far too hard I mean like it felt like a kind of a very like it belonged to that post train spotting era of like late 90s I know obviously it's an urban Welsh book so that's an easy comparison to make but it did feel like that kind of kind of quite gratuitously shocking in places I, I felt like um well, it, it's loaded with Kubrick references as well like obviously the, the initial murder shot like murder in a clockwork orange there's yeah. more clock like Jim Broadbent essentially is like a you know a character from Clockwork okay. Orange he does Aubrey Morris's yes yeah, yeah. thing at the end of sentences you know like young Alex kind of yeah. thing and uh, like John Sessions says the 2001 Space Odyssey poster up in his room and it's like, like if you're going to put <laughs> yeah. that many Kubrick references in your film you better be fucking sure that like there's your explicit tag by the way you better be fucking sure that like the rest of the film lives up to it you know and I, I just felt like there was a lot of unmotivated style that didn't really go with the rest of the film I felt like in it trying to adapt the book the structure of it it kind of felt like what works as a book doesn't necessarily translate to the screen it felt quite kind of digressionary and like kind of all over the place and it was like the trip the kind of trip to Amsterdam and mm-hmm. um, like the, the kind of focus of him trying to get one over on his you know on his peers kind of felt yeah. like he got lost in amongst everything else and then the final kind of twist and it just it just got too much for me you know yeah, you, did you read the book I didn't actually okay. I read the book. No, I, no, I'm not, that's not an accusation yeah, yeah. read the book have you yeah, yeah. but that, that ending has to kind of there has to be something like that ending there yeah. because that is the yeah, the yeah, revolution yeah. in the book there's the Carol chapters you know and you see yeah, that yeah. Um, can't remember the actress who does this but uh so I, I was wondering how they were going to do it, and I actually think they did it quite well. But I do understand if you said, what the hell is going on here, yeah. and why is this happening? So, I, yeah, I do get it. I thought, I know what you say, but I thought just for the sheer kind of, we're just going for this. And yes, it's, some of it's shocking, and yes, some of it's over the top. And yes, it's Eddie Marsden dancing in a gay bar after taking, you know, poppers <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I kind of really enjoyed that. I think it captured the spirit of Irvin, the best of Irvin Myers, because you know sometimes he goes over the top as well. But that's for that's agree to disagree. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. Well, was there not like um, as far as I'm aware, like I said, I, I haven't read it, but um, was there not quite a lot in it that they couldn't put in the film, and there was quite a lot that was left out in terms yeah, of yeah, it's a big book. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So I was gonna say that like I kind of felt like that at the beginning that it was a little bit all over the place, but then I thought that that's all of that made sense the fact that it kind of like it did seem almost linear in a way that he because I feel that like at the beginning I was because I had no real prior knowledge, knowledge apart from what my girlfriend said to me um, of what was going to come next so I was thinking how shocking is this going to go and, and how far is it going to go mm. and like he did surprise me at times but then what was so cool about it is that it was I felt like they balanced that out by the fact that he, you almost kind of ended up feeling sorry for him like in that final scene I was like actually quite touched by it and the, the use of that version of Creep as well with the bagpipes and stuff I thought was really yeah. really cool 
Well, let's go. You're going to talk about Shell. And, yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting film. So, yeah, I, I I loved Shell. I only saw it a couple of weeks ago on um, on Blu-ray. Okay. Uh, I rented. I missed it at cinemas, and I was so glad I caught it. Uh, just because it's like I've said all throughout this podcast when we're doing it that for for like Scottish art in any form, like be it film, be it music, be it books, for for it to you know really make a mark out, you know beyond Scotland that has to be able to measure up to, to anything that you can yeah, get anywhere else in the world even within Scotland because people if people can get something better from elsewhere then they're just going to ignore it and you know it's all very well and good to say like oh it's, it's good that this thing is doing something that we haven't done in Scotland before you know it, but then if it's been done elsewhere then again you know nobody else is really going to care but Shell I thought was something that could easily stand up to the best of whatever's coming out of France or uh, Romania or anywhere else that's you know currently, you know having a real kind of filmmaking moment, um, just so kind of such a kind of really specific vision, you know, a really specific situation of being stuck in this week in a petrol station in the Highlands, you know, and again largely a two hander, you know, or I suppose three eventually by the end of it, um, but yeah. so focused in this kind of character study and again a kind of a setup that you could have seen like many times before, but again putting a kind of unique spin on it very much rooted in its location and like its culture but at the same time uh, really beautifully shot and I can say that it's, of, uh, it's a stunningly shot film and it's a it, the cinematographer doesn't is, and director they're not scared to linger on things for longer than you might expect yeah and there's a great shot where um, about halfway through I think halfway two thirds of the way through where Shell is standing in the forecourt of the petrol garage and she's just kind of staring off down the road and the rain almost obscures the lens like they let they hold it on her until the lens is almost completely covered in rain mm. uh, and it's, it's really beautiful like it almost completely blocks out like everything you can see and you know but the way it's lit there's this kind of white light to it you know around the edges uh, yeah it's just really really beautiful film I was, I was really really impressed by it I don't want to say too much about it because I think it is like a film that Benefits from little foreknowledge going in when you don't know kind of yeah. where it's going and where it's going to end up. But I saw it at the Glasgow Film Festival when they were doing it was part of the, the, the first time films there, and I didn't know it, obviously anything about it like you. And it's one of these films with the central relationship um, between Shell and well between Shell and the other character, um, who is Benjamin Stark from Game of Thrones. Oh. Okay. I've never watched Game of Thrones. Oh, so there you go. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know who that is. Oh, okay. You, you're aware of my feelings on wizards and shit. Uh, <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's a that, that's a after podcast <laughs> yeah, discussion. But anyway, uh, and Chloe Perry is the actress who plays. Uh, Cher, and Kate Dickey turns up in that as well. Yeah, that's right. She's everywhere. And and she's on Game of Thrones as well. She's in Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. the. Um, for those people who are like space tires of Flaherty, is it? Yeah, Michael Smiley. He's not in Fox. He's not like he did dancing. He's turning a really reliable actor. Yeah, he turned up uh, in a field in England this year as well. He's done a couple of films now with Ben Wheatley, who directed mm -hmm. Kill List, and uh, yeah, Fields in England is also really, really good. Well, I wouldn't say too much more about Shell because, but it, I agree with you. I think it's one of the best films of the year. Yeah. No matter what, it's a fantastically. Um, well acted, well shot, and just really atmospheric. And yeah. I highly recommend it. So, um, beyond Scotland, then um, I already talked. One of my absolute favourite films of the year. We already talked about it, actually. It was uh, on the film festival 
uh, episode again one that I caught there was uh, It's Such a Beautiful Day the, the kind of the animated film that I talked about that I saw at the festival um, I won't dwell on it too long again because you know I've already done it at length but uh, mm-hmm. again it's an animated film but it's entirely the work of one man this guy Don Hertzfeld who directed it and animated every frame by hand it's an hour long it's three kind of short films that he made over a period of six or seven years all kind of run together into one kind of cohesive narrative they all focus on one stick figure man okay. uh, and his kind of you know, journey through middle kind of middle age, midlife rut okay. to um, probable death. But there's also kind of like <laughs> it gets kind of cosmic towards the end and becomes almost like I don't know. It's really it's almost like a kind of like the the, the creation of the universe sequence from the Tree of Life, but mixed with really deadpan comedy as well. So it's like really. It's, it's a unique thing did that come out on DVD is that something it's, I don't know if it's ever been released commercially on DVD like anywhere but you can order it from his website okay. and it's available to stream on Vimeo as well oh, you can okay. stream it or download it I think it's only like £2 to download or something okay. uh, and it's, it's absolutely worth it it's absolutely astonishing um, in a similar kind of cosmic vein uh, I think uh, one of my other favourite films of the year was Upstream Colour which is the second film by Shane Carruth who made Primer uh, about a decade ago okay. I don't know if you anybody no, so it's like a kind of it's a time travel film Primer uh, but he comes from he, he has like a, a maths degree and he uh, I think he designed Flight Simulator before he was a filmmaker as well so he's a really uh, he comes from a really kind of scientifically rigorous background and uh, Primer was notoriously complicated to try and unravel uh, you know but in a way that he clearly thought through all the implications of his time loops and okay. stuff and all the kind of paradoxes that would go into it um, I actually think when Ryan Johnson made Looper last year he, he brought actually, it, it sounds like Looper doesn't it yeah 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 but Upstream Cover um, so that one like Looper was like not Looper um, Primer was like his kind of physics film and this is like his biology film I think or his chemistry film if you like okay. um, it's it's kind of hard to say what it's about because it's quite oblique but it's basically about a parasite that passes from plant to pig to human and back again <laughs> or or from plant to human to pig and back again it's, there is a chain there okay. that is kind of, is kind of hard to establish causality and where it starts and it's kind of a closed circuit of a film so you're never really sure who the initial patient was but um, a, a character who's only referred in the credits as the thief uh, kind of abducts and drugs a woman uh, played by Amy Simon as she comes out of a, a club and kind of keeps her uh, kind of uh, you know in a, in a not comatose state but really kind of you know sedated state for, for five days or so and while she's under uh, completely wipes out her bank account and uh, she's been off work for an extended period of time so she gets fired and it basically completely destroys her life when she's released but she begins to feel a kinship with its uh, other kind of random guy who it turns out eventually has gone through a similar thing played by Shane Carruth, the, the writer-director and it's all about this kind of like unspoken connection that they have and then there's this parasite comes into play as well and it's, it's really, it sounds really hokey and really kind of B-movie-ish when you try and boil it down, it's essential but it's so poetic and so like overwhelmingly beautiful, I mean I went to see it um, on like a Friday night at the GFT and when I came out I felt like I'd have like a sensory bath or something it was like in a way where like all your senses are just absolutely heightened it's like you can hear everything more clearly and you're hyper aware of like uh, everything that's going on around you Um, and yeah it's uh it's really just overwhelming I think like the first the first half hour and I would say maybe the last 20 minutes are almost entirely wordless as well so it's one of these things that is just kind of pure cinema you know it doesn't rely on like expository dialogue or anything, it really puts a lot of faith in the viewer as well to keep up. But uh, yeah, it is an absolutely stunning film. So, give us the name of it again. Upstream Color. Upstream Color. Oh, fantastic. 
Um, you've seen any films that you're uh, particularly <clears throat> yeah I actually, saw, I actually saw a film last night that I um, already I think would be again I said earlier I don't uh, really have lists <laughs> but um, if I did have a list this would probably be on it it was uh, Nebraska oh okay so it was like Alexander Payne um, and uh, I'm not the film buff uh, but I believe uh, I've seen I've seen I haven't seen Descendants but I, see, I saw um, Sideways and I thought yeah, that was great great film um, great film part, a slightly worrying film because I thought that's my future but that's another film <laughs> <laughs> um, a Winefield road trip is that kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's weird because it's obviously it's not really you don't want to compare it too much to things that people mm. have done before but at the same time this is actually like a road trip movie in a weird way but with yeah. father and son um and uh, yeah, it's basically set with um, starts off with this father played by Bruce Stern, I believe, and uh, he gets one of these sweepstakes letters, and it says, "Congratulations, you've won a million dollars." And everyone else around him it just clearly goes, it's a, "It's a scam, of course." Like, what yeah. the fuck talk about? And then he's looking at it, going, "No, I I need to get my million dollars." And you have to. It says on the back of this thing that you need to bring this letter back to the office in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he stays in a tiny little town in mm-hmm. uh, Montana. And then basically, his son kind of takes pity on him. His life isn't really going too well. His girlfriend's just left him, and he's not really doing anything with his life. So he starts to feel that they've not got much time left with his dad, and he's kind of gone a little bit. Yes, you yeah. know. And he might not have been there for them a lot growing up, but he kind of wants to be there for him now, and just goes, "I'll take it." So everyone gets raging at him for doing it, but he does it, and it kind of follows this this trip basically uh, down to Nebraska, and they kind of stop off in places that kind of have like historical significance with the family yeah. and stuff, and. But it's great. It's really good. It's, it's yeah. shot black and white, which is interesting. It kind yeah. of seems like when people do that, now you're like, are they trying to make a point? Or is this thing? It yeah. looks nice. Yeah. Like, it seems that like it's more just the latter, maybe, that people are just like, oh, it probably looks better in black and white. Oh, you, were, you were nodding there when you, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, mentioned I loved it. Yeah, I loved it as well. I saw it last week. I thought it was really beautiful. I mean, I, I love Alexander Payne overall. Um, I, I, a lot of people kind of had problems with the descendants, but I really like. I haven't too. seen. I must see that. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's kind of it's a return to his kind of home territory because his past couple of films, like The Descendants and Sideways, uh, were uh, Hawaii and California mm-hmm. respectively, and uh, you know he's from the Midwest. He's from that kind of area of like you know Nebraska and and uh, like all, all the kind of surrounding states. Uh, you know, it's where about Schmidt was set, it's where election was set, it's where mm. Citizen Ruth was set. I forgot about election. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a homecoming for him, and yeah, it is. It's absolutely gorgeously shot, you know, black and white. And again, like, we were kind of, I was kind of wondering if it was just because it was called Nebraska, if he just thought, well, I'm covering Nebraska by Springsteen's and black and white. So, but, uh, I, I had thought that. <laughs> yeah, every yeah. single person I spoke to about this film, like, and I just saw it last night, everyone said, do they use Nebraska do they, do they use any music from it and, and they don't but the music on it's great actually it is, it's yeah, sort yeah. of like kind of like a sort of Americana kind of folk sort of throwback oh, right. um, it's really cool I was just going to say one, one tiny little uh, useless bit of trivia um, I was actually freaking out at the start of the movie because um, you see uh, Bruce Stern's character walk like that's basically what he does he can't drive mm-hmm. so he goes right I'm just going to walk to Nebraska and that's kind of how the, the film comes I won't say too much but he, so he starts walking and I just see that I don't realise until he walks past the sign that says the name of the city that he's walking out of and it's a place called Billings, Montana and I was in Billings, Montana like about three weeks ago <laughs> it was like it was like the shittiest town I've, I've ever been to like, so you would be walking out of it yeah but it was so it was so weird it was honestly so strange because I just had a compulsion to go and see this movie last night I'd heard of it about three days ago and yeah. I was like oh I'll go and see it and honestly the first half of the movie when they're travelling down they go through like South Dakota and basically the reverse way of what I, where I went a few weeks ago and I was like I can't believe it and I think that's maybe an extra reason why I appreciate it because it did capture like the sort of bleakness I suppose <laughs> and that was with the black and white thing that's what I yeah. assume what, you know um, 
something like Sideways and The Descendants, the way that they're shot reflect where they're being filmed as well, mm. and I think this maybe did that as well. Um, you, you mentioned right briefly at the start, Sunshine on Leith. Yeah. I'd just like to briefly talk about it. I never actually saw it. Oh, did you not get to see it? Yeah, no, it was very um, glad it did well. No, I, I, I never saw it either. It wasn't one of those ones where I kind of felt like I need to go and see well, it. Well, I tell you, I did go and see it, and um, I worked, wasn't sure what to eat, but the reason I wanted to talk about it, I actually really enjoyed it, and, it, you know, I love the, the music of the Proclaimers. I think they write great songs, really great songs, and, and it works well, you know, you got to lot. You got to like musicals and say I can accept that someone's just burst into song for no apparent reason, uh, and I can do that. But some people just can't do that. Um, but I just want to talk about um, Peter Mullen. It's worth uh, going to see just to hear Peter Mullen sing because he is like Matt Lanigan. I had a friend who referred to him as Tam Waits. Tam Waits is again another good way of, of saying <laughs> he should record an album. I reckon if you got him to do an album or covers. You got a hit record there anyway. Um, anything else, Chris, that you want to flag um, up? Just briefly run through. I really like the act of killing as well, which is a s- astonishing oh, kind yeah. of like doc documentary is a weird way of putting it. It's, it's non-fiction, but it's um, executive produced by Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, and it really is in the vein of like what Werner Herzog calls like ecstatic truth, where it's kind of heightened reality, and you kind of shape it in a way you take like non-fiction sources and kind of blur the lines between non-fiction and fiction, and basically it focuses on. Um, like in the mid sixties in Indonesia, there was basically genocide. You know, like the kind of the there was a coup and the the kind of the army that seized control of, of the country uh, wiped out a million uh, communists. Inverted commas, basically anyone that they saw to be enemies of, of of theirs. And the people who did it are still in power. There's never been any kind of recrimination for it or any kind of justice. And it follows uh, one of them, a guy called Anwar Congo, who's quite statesmanlike. You know, quite you know, dignif- seems quite dignified in the way he carries himself. He's now in his late sixties, seventies. Uh, and he is thought to be personally responsible for the deaths of a thousand people, like yeah. single-handedly killed them. Uh, and it follows him and his cronies who were also in complicit in it, and gives them sets, gives them costumes, gives them props and lights, and says, "We want you to recreate your crimes in the style of films that you enjoyed." Because they talk about how much they loved like American cinema, they love musicals, they love Bloody gangster hell. films and stuff. And so they get to script it, they get to shoot it, they get to act in it. There's a really, really distressing scene where after they film the stuff, Anwar Congo gets his grandchildren around and says, come see them kill grandpa. <laughs> yeah, and they sit on his knee. It's astonishing. It's the kind of thing that, like, it's the kind of thing that like, when you're watching it, you think if this was fiction, if someone had scripted this, this would be the funniest film of the year. It's so black. Like The comedy is so dark in it. But knowing that all these people actually did all of this, is it's it's shivering juice. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, terrifying, yeah, and you really see as the film goes on, like it, they kind of start to take its toll on Anwar Congo. Like he really suddenly starts being suddenly being forced to relive all this stuff. You really start to see it finally take its toll on him, uh, and. Yeah, so no, it's, it's like some kind of major therapy for this man to I don't think these. it's therapy so much as finally look face up to what you did because right, it's okay. just he's been so kind of unapologetic about it for so long and yeah it's finally um, coming to bear on him as he's paying like local villagers to scream in terror around him you know it's, it's, it's great there's musical sequences there's like as I say kind of gangster film sequences it's uh, yeah, it's astonishing but Joshua Oppenheimer is the director and it's, it's totally worth seeking out I think it's out on DVD now it's, it's incredible cool well I've got a couple just to mention briefly a couple of interesting things one uh, was in the summer there was the first Danoon Film Festival 
which was uh, actually it was lovely. It was over the weekend, and they showed films in the town hall and just you know and, and in the cinema and various other places, and they showed the whole of John Byrne's Your Cheating Heart, and John Byrne was over to with Eddie oh, Vader cool. to do an introduction about the whole thing and. Uh, they showed a watching Bill Forsyth's local hero in a town hall or something quite perfect about that. Um, and they also showed We Are Northern Lights. So did you know about this project? Um, no, I don't know. It's We Are Northern Lights was a Scottish film where they gave um, members of the public cameras and just said go and film stuff. And then oh, they right kind of here. stuck it all together. No, that's not actually it's beautifully edited. That's one of the best things about it is it's editing. But you get people from all, really from all over Scotland, from um, the borders to the highlands and islands and, and east to west. Um, and in a way, it shouldn't work. It should be like, almost like something you would see on TV, but it does. It really works very well. Partly because of the music, the editing is fantastic. And um, yeah, it was just a really nice. Uh, it's a worth, it's a film to it's worth checking out definitely I think I saw a trailer for that that um, I don't know it might be around the time that we're doing some. I don't know if it was maybe um, um, before the Edinburgh Festival or something like that I never could remember the name of it but I remember seeing the thing like that uh, Ashley is also kind of like a Beastie Boys uh, concert show where they gave everyone cameras as well yeah <laughs> that's that's excellent like, yeah. Well. <laughs> Beastie Boys film but no that'd be good yeah, that's worth yeah, checking yeah. and then finally was something I just got a DVD recently called California Solo which uh, stars Robert Carlyle as a kind of washed up Britpop guy who was in a band called the I think it's called the Cranks Lachlan McAlden or something like that anyway. and his brother has had a drugs overdose and he was the guitarist in the band and you know but it's it's kind of in the vein of Paris Texas or something like that it's very indie it's a Sundance made for Sundance Film Festival that kind of thing but he is brilliant and it's a great performance by uh, Bobby Carlyle and um, it's, it's another one just worth checking out but let's move on to music then Ryan what was your kind of year in music what was the stuff that you <clears throat> have remembered um, it's strange because lots of my favourite bands have come back with mm-hmm. albums um, and some of them have not been quite so good uh, some of them have been great but it's really strange because most of those bands are bands that made their names in like the late 80s early 90s which has started to become like one of my favourite eras mm-hmm. for I don't want to say alt rock but that's kind of yeah. like, Everything from things like, you know, from Guided by Voices through to like Yolo Tango and, and Dinosaur Junior. These have become kind of like the bands I sort of like geek out about. Yeah, you're a good company here. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. But, they, but they, they, they've all come back with that. I mean, Guided by, Guided by Voices put out like four albums a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably like, I think Robert Pollard puts out like 40 a week himself yeah, or something. But if they know, no, like since they reformed, they've now put out more albums than they did when they were in their kind of classic period. Like, yeah. Than that lineup initially put out in the mid 90s. Yeah, like yeah. They, put, they put out like four. For a year, he puts out th- three or four solos, and then he's got other bands and all. So not all of it's that great. But one thing, one thing I was actually really surprised by how good it was, um, which I shouldn't have been because um, I really liked this. But um, was how good the Yola Tango album Fade is. Yeah, um, I, I went to see them actually in uh, the ABC. Right. I was there too. Yeah, and they did like an. Uh, um, we're gonna get on really well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they kind of did like a sort of a kind of an acoustic section and then a louder section. But I don't know. They're just one of those bands that they just never seem to know. Like um, what it's like to have no ideas. Yeah. Like they, all, they always seem to kind of throw things together. And yeah, everything they do, and it's often quite different, but it, they seem to pull it off pretty much you know, every time. Yeah, for a, such a productive band to to keep um, producing at that standard is, is is incredible. That's the thing. And then, but on the flip side, 
I kind of like um, I'm a huge fan of like Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado but like maybe like the albums they had this year were probably like half good mm. half like why did you bother yeah, <laughs> you know that yeah. kind of thing it's like but the reason I kind of find this all interesting is all these bands have come back and they've um, actually uh, I don't want to jump ahead but I noticed you said the past past is written on your little yes. sheet there <laughs> um, there's lots of bands that are coming back and obviously we've been do- having this for like 10-15 years it's, um, mm-hmm. you know it's happened before that too but all these bands from that time are kind of coming back and it's interesting because I think a lot of your bands are trying to kind of echo that and in a weird way I don't want to kind of you know put everything in a pigeonhole but it does seem like my dad used to always say this he says like everything's going in cycles so everything's just going to be trendy again you know see the 80s was trendy for ages, like the 90s again I'm like nah come on it's not going to happen but then you've got this resurgence of these bands like in more popular aspect of it things like Jake Bug and the Stripes and, mm-hmm. and all these kind of things that are kind of doing the sort of uh, almost like like North England kind of uh, indie thing like the Oasis yeah, and all that kind yeah. of stuff did and that kind of stuff for better or worse um, um, but then you've got loads of bands that are doing the kind of scrappy kind of indie stuff and a lot of it a lot of that can actually be quite good as well um, obviously a lot of it's throwaway then you've got a lot of um, garage is coming back like like in terms of like um, you know that kind of sort of shitty stuff that predated like grime like yeah. garage dance and whatever that's all coming back and then you've got weird techno happening and it's kind of like I don't know some people will be definitely referencing the 90s but a lot I don't know if it's maybe just the culture of it that it's just everything's shifting that way there's now like this weird wave that everything from 20 years ago is now kind of... I used to think that the time of, of nostalgia was getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> I know, you know, like, because uh, you're right, the kind of mid-90s and Britpop is now yeah. you know, being kind of replicated. And I think, that should have been... I always say that, it wasn't that long ago, but it really doesn't seem that long ago. And then, you know, so how long before, just a couple of years ago, people say, oh, that was great. Two years ago, it was fantastic. <laughs> but um, what about you, Chris? What was your... Um, feeling on the year in music well I think just following on from that I think this was the kind of year there's always been a worry since the Pixies reformed because I think they were kind of like the first of the big kind of alt if you like like mm-hmm. late 80s early 90s acts to, to do it to reform like they reformed in 2004 right, and it yeah. was initially like a just like they were quite open about it just for the money we're just going to Pixie seller exactly yeah, yeah we're, <laughs> we're not going to um, we're not going to record new material and there was always kind of a worry that this was going to be the start of like baby boomer nostalgia for like 90s kids I think mm-hmm. that it was going to be like the Pixies were suddenly going to turn into like Crosby, Stills and Nash or something like that you know just tearing off past glories and just getting getting out like their fans from that period for a kind of one more time you know around yeah. the dance all those uh, 80s uh, things which go through around where you get curiosity called the cat and Kim Wilde and all yeah, those yeah. things oh yeah those 80s festivals <laughs> always yeah. show up in some Arsene part of Fife or something <laughs> yeah yeah. Just like, yeah and my worry is that this is the year that I'm not saying everybody did it but this is the year the Pixies finally tipped over into that because oh. uh, I love Pixies I love them so much I saw them live a couple of times yeah, since yeah. they reformed but uh, so much they put so many feet wrong this year like just from from like, from parting ways with Kim Deal to putting out really terrible new material to uh, like hope, getting a new basis and letting her go after a couple of months Kim Shadow from the Muffs it was That's just right, like yeah. it, it just really felt like this was the year where it kind of it tipped over into parody for the Pixies and it was really upsetting to see <laughs> like it just really like so I kind of quite like next year if we maybe started finding some new you know new reference points I think okay. in the past because I feel like the I'm worried that if we keep going with the 90s thing the way that it's, it's happening just now that 
it's it's gonna just turn into like as much of a joke as like a lot of that kind of it's like the Eagles or something, or you know, like that kind of seventies California sound that gets the piss ripped out of it. Now, it's know? a weird thing because it's like it, I guess it's like anything where people do it well and people do it terrible, and that that's usually the thing with anything. It doesn't matter what people are referencing, someone's gonna do it bad, and someone's yeah. you know yeah. everyone before has referenced everyone else. But yeah, it's I find it quite strange because in a weird way, some of my favorite bands that I've discovered this year have totally tapped into that but it doesn't sound like contrived I don't know if you've heard of a band that um, I only just heard like a couple months ago that are from Glasgow but they're called Tough Love right and uh, um, uh, another one along the lines of uh, bands that uh, use cool misspellings that spell T-U-F-F of course uh, it is but they're great it's like um, there's uh, three of them and they do this kind of uh I don't know the best way to kind of describe it because I don't want to say it's kind of like some guitar indie but it, it kind of harks back to things like it's obviously influenced by things like the breeders and that kind of stuff but probably more along the melodic side of things like like throwing muses or that mm-hmm. kind of thing it's not quite as aggressive of it, but it's, it's kind of like somewhere between like the Vaselines and throwing muses and a little bit of the Lemonheads and that kind of thing but at the same time even though I've referenced three bands <laughs> they're quite distinct it still sounds quite fresh and it sounds like they're kind of picking from the references that aren't the most obvious ones yeah, like, yeah. we're going to sound like Pixies we're going to sound like this it's like you know they're taking a few things there and I found that like it's weird when I was um, away I don't want to be like when I was on tour you know uh, <laughs> cool. but, uh, but, um, but it was only last month so that's why it's still fresh in my head but I, I was away for about um, like nearly a month and um, everywhere we played there was bands that kind of tapped into that sort of thing but there, there was only one bad band out of uh, like about 12 and I can't remember their name so they've escaped, they've escaped but pretty much every place that we went to the you know and this is the thing that baffled me my mind when I went over there that, that, um, how different each state is and how different um, you know like some people haven't even been as to as many places as, as I've been to in America but they've lived there their whole lives yeah. and this kind of so there are like cultural differences between it but every single band that kind of tapped into that sort of thing that was playing with us they were all doing something really interesting and they all they were all doing it with an attitude in which they kind of didn't really give fuck if you liked it or not and yeah. I like that like I like the idea that the spirit of that like well it doesn't really matter if we sell two tapes or we're just playing it in this tiny place where maybe two people show up we're just going to do it and well, maybe that's one of the saving points is that the, the people they are influenced by the Pixies or Nirvana or whoever it was very much a kind of for want of a better word punk scene where you, you went and you just did it and you maybe couldn't play very well but that was the thing if you're influenced by a much more polished you know a lot of Britpop stuff certainly by the end was you know polished within an injury's life and uh, certainly produced that way um, that's the same kind of sound you want to get but if you're a, a, a young band or just starting out you can't possibly get to that stage so well, maybe you can now because of technology that maybe allows you to do yeah. it but yeah if you've been influenced by the breeders or, or, or something like that that your sound is also going to be rough and ready and it's maybe you know we'll use the word attitude but there is something about that often they're more um, interesting bands I think bands who aren't afraid to make mistakes maybe yeah it's, it's funny because I that's always been the thing that like what's well, twigged me and most of my friends onto like how good a lot of that music is it's like yeah did you hear that he was out of tune there and, and she messed that up and it's like that sounds great yeah. <laughs> it's like you know and sometimes I've always said that you can judge how good a band is um uh, on based on like how they deal with like mistakes so like when you see a guy who's like all dressed up in a leather jacket and slick hair and he's like breaks a string and then all of a sudden he's panicking and then three or four people are diving on stage to kind of you know but then cut to the shitty basement show and someone's doing it and they go fuck it I don't need this guitar yeah. <laughs> it just goes into the yeah. crowd and go come on it's like um, I don't know I think it's 
I like the idea that there is still that sort of attitude in it. But in a weird way, there's lots of bands that kind of in the past few years that have made their name with doing like really kind of ratty sort of lo-fi mm-hmm. um, kind of stuff that sort of became a genre in itself, which is kind of silly. They've now moved on to do like louder, more polished albums, which is kind of weird. And it, that also works. So I, I don't really know. Like, I guess it's just a case of if you're good at what you do and you're honest with that, it and you're not too contrived, then you get away with it. That's, that's <laughs> what it comes down to. I had a couple of bands who had real kind of returned to form as well. One going back to the early 80s was Lloyd Cole released an album and in fact two people let's talk, put them together Lloyd Cole and Edwin Collins both released new material and both records were I would say the best stuff they've done in, in years um, the Edwin Collins one particularly is worth checking out it came with a lovely personalised coaster as well which he had uh, done the art for yeah because I know he does lots of um, like painting and stuff um, I always really wanted to see him live actually um, because obviously since he's recovering um, you know things mm-hmm. have obviously been quite different but apparently like He's great live with his his band. Yeah, but it's fantastic. A great band he's got around him as well. And then I'd written down the pastels with Slow Summit, which I thought was a. a, a I actually love that album. I think that yeah, it's great. It's, it should I absolutely. Um, Chris, um, my favourite Scottish album of the year, I think. And looking at the stuff I've written down here, I think it was a really strong year for pop in general. Like a lot of this, and quite progressive pop. You know, stuff that doesn't really have. Obviously, it has its own reference points, but is is kind of doing new things with them and taking it forward and. My favourite Scottish album of the year was the Church's album, actually, which I thought was an album that lived up to a lot of the hype that was around. They were the it. big breakthrough they yeah, yeah. say the Scottish band, did you? Cool. You, I'm not saying anything. I've fallen out already. That was a short honeymoon. <laughs> no, I, I really liked I it. Really like, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're a band that I was actually really kind of sceptical about because of a lot of the hype and because like I, I knew... Like so, like the, the members of other bands, you know, like these they'd all played with. Obviously, Ian Cook was in the Unwinding Hours, and, and Martin Doherty was a tour member of Twilight Sad, and Lord Maybury was in Blue Sky Archives, and I was like, I don't see how any of those bands are going to make like good electro pop. I can't, I, yeah. I don't see how this is going to come together. Um, so I kind of it actually took me until the album came out to listen. Like I, I kind of missed the EP, I missed the early singles, I right. missed all the kind of early live shows, and um, it was only when the album came out and I finally picked up, and I was like. I really like this and it was one of those albums I was really kind of I kind of played to death over the first kind of fortnight that I had it you know just really kind of um, like a few times a day was just kind of devouring it and uh, yeah I I really got into it and again in a way I necessarily wasn't necessarily expecting to um, because I'm usually kind of quite resistant to to that level of of hype and buzz around a band but uh, yeah no in spite of my my better judgement necessarily I I totally flipped for it (laughs) And, and uh, it's in a good year for pop. Any, yeah, uh, um, obviously it didn't really get much popular. I, I really liked the Justin Timberlake album from this year. I really liked the first <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Well, the first one, the second one was a bit shit. But uh, the second one was kind of like outtakes and B-sides. I think that he was just kind of passing off as another two, volume of the album. Well, it was the 2020 experience part one and part two. And part two was, I think, just kind of, as I say, outtakes and B-sides that he passed off as another okay. like volume two of the album. And it really wasn't great. <laughs> Uh, but the first one was the first one um, I think in the past like I kind of like Timberlake anyway overall I think he's really put like NSYNC and his boy band past behind him and become like a proper you know he works with good producers obviously he has a long relationship with Timberland and um, I wish Ronnie was here I know I know and they um, like they put out some of the best pop singles of the past like him and Timberland put out some of the best pop singles of the past decade and uh, this almost kind of had the opposite problem from his other albums which were great singles and a bit of filler in the 
there weren't many standout singles on this one, but I think it worked really well as like one flowing album. The songs are all like seven, eight, nine minutes long, and they go through various movements and stuff. And is uh, yeah, I just I really liked it overall. I thought it was it was very sweet and very surprising, and um, yeah, took took some chances that I thought a lot of people overlooked. I loved that. I loved uh, uh my I think my joint favorite albums of the year because they're so kind of wildly different that I couldn't really choose between them were uh, Bankrupt by Phoenix which I think was really underappreciated a lot a lot of like three stars mm-hmm. uh, six out of ten reviews when it came out and I, it baffled me I mean Phoenix are one of my favorite bands anyway but they um, I think this is one of the strongest things they've, they've ever put out again okay. really just a really consistent start to finish listen that really creates a certain mood um, I thought it complimented really well you know, Thomas Mars um, their front man is married to Sofia Coppola and I actually thought it complimented uh, The Bling Ring really well which is her film from this year um, I'm not saying that like obviously you, you, I mean obviously you have to take them separately from one another they're not like codependent or anything but uh, yeah I thought it, it was an interesting compliment to that uh, and my other favourite album of the year was Jesus by Kanye West <laughs> which um, I mean again fully on, on side with Kanye yeah, I know how much you, you think yeah. Kanye is Jesus yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely and uh, yeah again like really taking a lot of chances really stripping his sound back and getting quite abrasive is the, not maybe the right word for it but really I think maybe it is yeah yeah, yeah 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 you know the, the song Bla- that song Black Skinhead is yeah, just yeah. like so punishing and then just that sub drop yeah if you listen to it in big speakers it's like it's fun. I'm actually really glad you brought that one up because um, it was funny because I've had this thing for a while. I've I've tried to like things that have been, you know, I, I don't want to like things that are just in the charts for the sake of it. But I want to have an open mind when it comes to pop. But the thing that's kind of annoyed me recently, in the past like maybe even five or six years, has been this kind of weird amalgamation of um, you've got elements of hip hop, R and B, and dance, and they've kind of all come into this big homogenized thing where mm-hmm. like you've got the the DJ and the slash producer, uh, the R and B singer and the rapper all in the same song and it's all the same thing like every single song is da, 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 in a slightly different key mm-hmm. and then it builds up for the little shimmery bit and the girl sings and then all of a sudden it goes to the big dance bit and every song yeah all, like more or less every so- popular song of the past like five or six years over here anyway and I think it's very similar in the states and stuff it's all just like this homogenized thing so it's quite cool to see people who have sort of had a hand and influence in that sound not sit around and go all right, we're just going to play along yeah. again. Like, like, because I kind of hope we're maybe coming to the point where it seems like, like with Justin Timberlake and with like Jay Z and Kanye West and stuff. That, that, although I can't say that they're among my favorite artists of all time, um, I admire the fact that like it's coming to a point now where hopefully albums are going to be like a big deal, like an event. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you're saying there's no strong, not as many strong singles on the, um, the Justin Timberlake album, it kind of seemed like that album he wanted it just to be like. A thing as opposed to he was just a collection of songs that yeah, make absolutely, me, yeah. make me money and that's the same with the Yeezus things like every time you hear him doing something even if I'm not sure if I'm going to like it I'm just kind of like right okay what, what, what have you got here I kind of want to pay attention because you know it's going to be huge and ridiculous and, yeah and, and always interesting I mean yeah. even, even when it's crazy it's interesting yeah and really kind of a lot of pretty incendiary stuff on Yeezus as well I think I mean Kanye's always been I think a lot of the time is overlooked like how political Kanye West can get on some of his songs but really kind of you know putting the accelerator down on it on this one and really going hard for it I mean New Slaves as a song is um, and, and really putting the focus on his lyrics as well New Slaves is just kind of like it's so Spartan you know as he's rapping it's just kind of like little keyboard blips you know there's a lot of silence in it there's a lot of room just to focus on it's like it's almost a cappella in places and uh 
yeah, drawing comparisons between like the private prison systems in in America and the government agencies and stuff like that. A lot of what really kind of incendiary stuff going on. But I, I love that he's, he's taking it to those places, and I, yeah, I, I love the album overall. Excellent. Um, again, back to the nineties. A band who came back. Uh, I would I thought an excellent comeback was Mazzy Stars. Uh, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not changing the wheel, but uh, just very good. Yeah, to have no, so it, it's like I wasn't that fam- familiar with them until like maybe about a year ago. Um, and uh, I used to play an album in my work all the time. It was the only one that was on the iPod. And um, it was at this little coffee shop, and I used to play it over and over and over again because it was just it was beautiful to listen to the background. But when you actually really focus on it, she's just got the most like honey like voice. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's 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 beautiful. It's not even necessarily sexy. It's just like no. it's just the most lovely comforting thing it's just um, it's great and the music's great too but it, it's just yeah it doesn't sound that much different but I think they're one of those few bands that can get away with it you don't want her just you don't want it to be different you know. you're just glad that they're back yeah. that's how I felt about it definitely yeah it sounded like no time had passed at all since the last record you know it sounded like it was just they were picking up where they left off and like 16 years hadn't passed or however long it's been 16, yeah. 17 years you know but was that how long it was oh, God. I think it was 96 the last night they started um, but that, yes exactly how I felt just like oh great there's a new album and that's quite that's no bad thing you know sometimes well, going back to your first point, bands can be even your favorite bands can be far too prolific, and you think, "Oh, another Iron and Wine again." Oh uh, yeah, I kind of stopped paying attention to. Him. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I feel bad because the, the first. That's what I mean. Is because the yeah, first couple albums too much. Much. Yeah, we need we need some space in this relationship. And um, did you did you like the first few records? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, What about yourself? I've never really got into Iron and Wine, honestly. I am. Um, I got into. Like I never, I'd always heard of Iron Man, and then I actually went through it. It's very cliched. I got two albums around about the time that um, I went through a breakup, and this was many years ago. It was like eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. and um, so still in my late teens. And I got in. It. it was the perfect time because it was just like it's really nice. You know, it was just him. I think he recorded like in his like mum's bedroom yeah. or something like that, yeah. and it was just him like and a guitar on a little four track and it's very hushed and very very sweet and kind of in a similar way to Mazzy Star. There's kind of mm-hmm. like that that very like. Um, like hush sort of welcome kind of voice but it's like it's almost like when you put headphones on it's like he's right there not in a creepy way but yeah, yeah 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 he's right there yeah. I know what you mean I just thought it was nice you could almost hear like the sound of the room it felt very kind of intimate and it also was just great like his melodies were really cool and then he's gone on to this really weird thing the more he's built his band up it's kind of become this weird new age bluegrass thing but not as good as that might yeah, sound yeah exactly it does sound good yeah. but this was your problem with the Bonnie Vera wasn't it the move from the one to his yeah, yeah I really well we talked about it was it last year it was last the year before last year I really strongly disliked that second Bonnie Vera album but um, he, he kind of did in two albums yeah, it's a very know, similar thing actually yeah. yeah yeah. like to the extent that it can, yeah like say it kind of ruined the earlier stuff for me like you know, <laughs> it, 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 retroact, it retroactively negated the worth of the first album where he's like oh this is what he was working towards this is what he wanted to do all along yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's the past. That's yeah, so the let it go. Let's let yeah. it go. Um, another good. Uh, I mean, it seems to be all comebacks, which probably is not a good sign. I will talk about some uh, uh, bands who are current, but one of my favourite bands of all time are Prefab Sprout. I'm a big fan of oh, Prefab okay. Sprout. And Crimson Red was again a great return to form. Not every track was brilliant, but when they got it right, it was like, yeah, this is like Steve McQueen or. Uh, Jordan, the comeback are all of my favourite stuff. I just, I just love um, Paddy McAloon. I think he's one of the great songwriters. Um, but there were, there were uh, bands who are featured on the the site, which I want to mention. One guy called Chris Flew, who's got an album called 
white notes on minor ninths. I I think I remember him from years and years and years ago. Okay. I think he maybe used to be in a band ages ago that somehow had flu in the name. It was like the boy who flew or something, oh, okay. or, or something like that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a different guy. I don't know. I think, I I think don't know. It, unless that's literally his last name, in which case I'm completely wrong. Uh, um, yeah, it's flu is his last name, I believe. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why he had the band. Um, <laughs> yeah, possibly. But yeah, it was who I'm thinking of. I remember liking the stuff ages ago, but this yeah. was also like eight years ago or something. So. Um, well, it's just it's just very accomplished. Uh, and that thing again of knowing when to be quiet knowing when you know it, there's, there are some of the best music there are parts of it that don't need to be filled you know you don't have to put everything in it he seems to kind of really understand that some tracks just for some lovely piano and a couple of the guys involved in it there was someone from the 17th century and someone from Olympic Summers involved in it so there's some good good people on board it's worth checking out um, a band called Fat Goth I'm going to take the church's line uh, oh, okay. again on this one. <laughs> ah, interesting, okay. I, I thought, well, I, this was brand new to me this year, and I, I really liked some of their stuff. Um, and finally, when I went, to, just a couple of singles that came from a band called Lorraine McCauley and the Borderlands, very kind of, like, oh gosh, almost baroque, um, with songs of what if and belong and I've got the feel of something from Paris in the 1920s I hope I've got my decades right there but uh, it really should be really worth checking out and um, the videos are on YouTube but uh, is there any, any other final music roundup before we I'm really really trying to not say, say anything about so the things we're saying before I, I wasn't going to say anything mean I just kind of um, my, my uh, thing with Fat Goth is kind of the same thing with churches it's kind of like I kind of want is what you're saying about Scottish films actually it does actually kind of fill me with kind of hope that mm -hmm. people will like things that are from Scotland because you know it's not that big a place and the mm -hmm. fact that anyone can be making a splash anywhere is, is really 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 cool it's always better if it's something that you are totally get behind um, I just don't know if either of those bands are as good at that type of music as there maybe well you may have a point there because I the, I think one of the reasons I picked up on Fat Goth was there's not a lot of and I might be wrong with this, but for me, there's not a lot of really great rock music coming out of Scotland at the moment. Uh, and, and I don't know, because they, they kind of seem to go, they're going for the kind of like, it sounds a lot, I think a lot of people throw the Queens of the Stone Age thing, mm -hmm. uh, which is understandable, and maybe like Caius and stuff like before that, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe even to an extent kind of, Remember uh, Ruben? Do you remember the band Ruben? No, I don't. Um, yeah, yeah. Very just like fat riffs and like, see, some of it was okay. Um, and some of the riffs the fat goth have are cool, but that's kind of what I feel it is. It's kind of like just, I describe it as like meat and potatoes. It's kind of like you've okay. got, you, you've got like the heaviness and you've got the riffs there. And that's kind of cool, but I think beyond that, I just didn't think there was much else to, to okay. kind of grab a hold of, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I which, which kind of was disappointing because there's a couple of riffs that are cool, and I also just really can't get behind that voice. <laughs> I, 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 I just like because I've seen because they've been in loads of other bands and stuff before. Mm -hmm. I think a couple. I can't remember because it was that big Dundee thing. Where just there, there was bands like um, what are they called now? It was like Leto was one of them, and then there's a band called Thuz, and then there's a, another one I think that they all kind of came from was um, Alamos, right. who were actually great, they did an album with Steve Albini, oh, um, and they were all from like Dundee or around that area, um, and it was great, I can't even remember the name of it now, and it was like the one thing they did, no one else really liked it, and then uh, they just went into all these other bands, and I kind of don't think that Fat Goth are as good as some of the other stuff. So it basically disappointed. Yeah, I just, uh, and it's just funny because like everyone, 
I don't mind if people like things that I don't because it happens. Yeah, but, of course. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, it's kind of a little bit. You kind of get a little bit frustrated when it's sort of like, is there something I'm maybe not seeing? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's yeah. me. Maybe I'm the problem. No, no, no. <laughs> well, well, that's that's just, you know the taste of it. But um, I know what you mean. When someone really likes something and you don't get it, then you do sometimes think, well, well, you think two things, don't you? Think well, you're just wrong. But then there's always part of you that goes. Hmm, I was going to say, to give them credit, I thought the same thing about the Black Sabbath album. Um, so, yeah, but dis- I was disappointed Dis- with that. Well, if Black Sabbath are disappointing you, then <laughs> anyone is up for this. Um, we're going to have a break time for Ronnie's missive. I think it's about time for that. And you can uh, react to this as you will. He's really gone for it this year. It's almost two pages long. Um, as is customary at this time of year, I thought I'd send my... This is properly like reading out a letter from America. I thought I'd say my annual epistle to the Apostles reflecting upon the year that was, while also crowbarring in references to Thor. Great. (laughs) In a year that brought you the word selfie and twerking and quite possibly one too many selfies of me twerking, can there be anything worth celebrating? Was it a good year or just another Annas Horribilis? Let's reflect upon this as I mentioned some highs, some not so highs and some things to be studiously avoided. First, I'll start on a sad note to mark the passing of Ian Banks, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Ian Banks and um, come to books. Anyway, he died of cancer in June. Ian was one of uh, Scotland's greatest contemporary writers and author of many a fine work of fiction, and um, will be well remembered. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I know you're a big Banks fan, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you were a fan of his. Um, I can't say that I'm that familiar with okay. him, if I'm, if I'm honest. Uh, well, he certainly uh, was a big influence on myself. Um, but back to Ronnie. On a far different note... Another big influence on yourself. <laughs> well, absolutely. On a far different note, I very much enjoyed an album simply titled The by Japanese math rock band Tricot. I've no idea what math rock is, but if it involves this melodious 90s throwback whimsy, then I'm all for it. Numbers are generally evil, but this is particularly good. For that reason, I'm sticking it at the top of my Christmas list. 2013, of course, saw the return of many things, in no particular order and with no particular claims about relative merit, there was the eternal recurrence of such ubermensch as Superman, Iron Man, and even Thor, a fact that will no doubt keep Mr. Ward endlessly happy. Oh yes. Forgive the spoiler if you're expecting the following DVD in your Christmas stocking, but the character of Khan came back in the shape of Benedict Ronnie, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch in the latest outing of the crew of the Starship Enterprise showing once again that the needs of J.J. Abrams outweigh the needs of the many. In music, we saw the return of Arcade Fire, Nick Cave, which I'm surprised we didn't get around to talking about. Yeah, either of us. <laughs> and to the point of almost endless repetition, Daft Punk, with long-awaited album, and yes, that song. Springsteen came back to our shores and played in Glasgow in June. Morrissey was back to upset everybody with his classic autobiography, copy of which Chris has on the table so more of that (laughs) later stroking lovingly (laughs) David Bowie also made a comeback provoking banter of the kind normally reserved for Woody Allen regarding a possible return to form Woody Allen himself had a film out so no surprises there speaking of the dead returning to life (laughs) I ought to mention the troubled film version of World War Z in which hordes of zombies chased Brad Pitt around George Square Zombie larks also came in the form of third seasons of The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. The latter was notable not so much for its undead white walkers, but because of its so-called Red Wedding, a plot twist that apparently managed to piss off the entire internet. Much the same would probably be said for the announcement of Doctor Who's regeneration into Malcolm Tucker. 
in the Time Traveller's 50th year. Which inevitably brings me to daft science fiction. Was it just my imagination or were all the blockbusters daftly sciencey fictiony this year? Star Trek Into Darkness, I've already mentioned. Also mentionable was the supremely silly Pacific Rim, in which Stringer Bell donned the giant robot suit and punched giant monsters in the face in order to bankroll Guillermo del Toro's next decent movie. He says that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> Tom Cruise fought a clone army of Tom Cruises in oblivion. Spoiler! <laughs> Fucking spoiler on that one! <laughs> Ronnie, what were you playing that? That's like death. a third act of evolution. Dear, see, you managed to do it again, Ronnie. Half a good flick, thanks largely to the one person who isn't in it who wasn't Tom Cruise, Andrea Riseborough. I myself managed heroically to fight off further science fiction onslaught by Matt Damon in Elysium and Will Smith after Earth. But I might go vomit to space type film Gravity over the festive period if Ali and Chris unchain me from my typewriter. I think Chris is going to have words with you. Yeah. Uh, with particular regards to Scotland, James McAvoy, fresh from his own rather silly outing with Vincent Cassell and Danny Boyle's Trance, starred in the screen adaptation of Other Mouse's Filth. Bizarrely, Dexter Fletcher adapted the proclaimers for the screen in Sunshine and Leaf. My heart was broken. Finally, for Scottish literature, we're better to direct you to than the only just published list of top Scottish books of 2013 by The Bottle Imp, featuring timely recognitions by, recommendations by top authors and critics, and including one by me. That's me, <laughs> Ali. Um, and that's online. You can check that out online. No doubt many other things happened as things tend to do but you're probably tired of my humbuggery and long for brighter thoughts. With that, I wish you all in Scotsway Hayland all the best for Christmas and New Year. May Santa bring you that Miley Cyrus CD you dreamed of in 2014. It's meant to be very good. Not be quite so unremittingly daft. Yours, Ronnie. Three kisses, man. So, sorry about that, Chris. No, I, I, just, don't I, just, seen that. I just saw it last weekend. I mean, I'm saying for people listening that I haven't seen Oblivion. Um, wow. I always say I'd completely forgotten about the existence of trans, but he's right to say it's a supremely silly film in that it's a film that um, whose plot mechanics rely largely on Rosario Dawson's pubic hair or lack thereof. So really, yeah, well, I want to go and see it. Okay. <laughs> um, I, it's good. I'm always pleased when Ronnie he, he hits the kind of mainstream stuff that uh, you've now shunned a lot of this stuff. Yeah, so I enjoyed Pacific Rim a fair bit. I gotta uh, say. No, no, no. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, more of the superhero, oh, the superhero stuff. Well, there's a difference between you don't have to be superhero to be mainstream. Pacific Rim was a huge blockbuster. That was a big thing, right? Oh, okay. And I liked Oblivion a fair bit. Uh, I liked. I quite liked Oblivion. I had to subtitle yeah, yeah. that. And was, uh, <laughs> oh no, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, but yeah, no, some of the superhero stuff. I'm more or less. Like, I, did, I didn't even bother seeing Man of Steel. I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't, uh, I didn't I put myself it. through Thor. Uh, I want to see I will see Thor but I'll wait for um, DVD I quite liked bits of Iron Man 3 but that was mostly because residual love for Shane Black yeah I um, yeah Shane Black's great I, I don't want to uh, reveal any other kind of twist but I kind of like what happened with Ben Kingsley Yes, I wasn't expecting that at all, and I kind of, I'm really glad. Again, I can't talk about that ruining it. I'm uh, not sure how many people listen to this or that fast about ruining it. I consider we've ruined everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's <laughs> that's like, do you think we can talk about it, Chris? Or do you think that's the way? Some people might get it for some people might get it for Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Cool. Great twist in a film. And he's so great. Again. Yeah. 
I, I just wanted to say that he was a good comic character. Um, you can take that with whatever way you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys know what I mean. Absolutely. Um, also, just a final note. I actually forgot I, uh, to talk about this. Um, I'll say it as quick as possible. Um, I like Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Oh right! I think the singles <laughs> have been decent. I like both of them. I like the one. Um, was it like uh, we can't stop? We can't stop. Yeah. I start, this is the weird thing. Is that like I said before? I try really hard to like be open minded to things, and I find it so hard sometimes to like a lot of uh, pop music because it, it's just lazy to mm -hmm. me. It seems to re just be regurgitating it, and why not if you know that it's a hit? And yeah. Yeah, but I kind of think you need to respect people a little bit more because like see if you go back and listen to classic pop songs. You know, these these are quite simple songs to get into, but <clears> musically they were actually really, you know, quite maybe not necessarily complex, but they were like strong. And I feel like we're just not really people aren't really respecting the listeners by just giving them the same yeah. kind of sludge. Now the thing is, Miley Cyrus, whatever she is outside of this whole thing, yes. that's totally fine, you know. But well, it's not. But you know what I mean. <laughs> I the, but, but, but the point is, is that it's kind of irrelevant because see that see those those two songs, and I can't really say much for anything else. The party in the USA is quite catchy, but, um, but I prefer when the, some Joker decided to put a party in bullshit by Notorious B.I.G. over it. And it's <laughs> much better. But anyway, that song, the production on it is great. It's mm -hmm. so it's so minimal. There, there's like maybe like little bits of synth and stuff you can hear in the background, but it's more like piano. Yeah, and it's just it's a total like old school power ballad but even the drum sound is just so huge and it's not like this really terrible like 808 like bump and clap thing mm. that you, you always kind of hear it's like it's a huge like massive song yet really minimal at the same time and her voice is great on it yeah she has a really strong voice I would recommend actually for anyone who's currently staring at their speakers with their jaws <laughs> high enough in disbelief that the two was uh, rapping for Miley Cyrus um, the Roots did a similar kind of rehab job on her with, that they did with uh, Call Me Maybe last year uh, mm -hmm. on Jimmy Fallon where they, did, or they posted online a video of them doing it was an acapella version of We Can't Stop so the Roots and Jimmy Fallon kind of provide the backing music and she sings over the top of it but it's all a cappella and uh, it's great she really can sing she's got a really good voice and uh, it's, it's worth checking out it'll be on YouTube but it's an interesting point um, there, are, there seems to be now a, a group of, of great producers particularly in the States that nearly anyone can turn to and they will more than likely make a great sounding record. Yeah. No matter who the actual singer is or uh, not quite who the singer is, but that, that, that's what I feel often about a lot of that music is that it's more about how great the producers are than perhaps how great they are. But that's the thing is, that, but sometimes I think when you know that there's a formula there, you know, so for example, David Guetta, like mm -hmm. he's essentially ruined music. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, you know, he's still, you know, fiddling around with his laptop and turning his faders up as if he's like doing anything when he's DJing with a big <laughs> grin on his face and of course he is because he's a millionaire yeah, and he's yeah. just like I don't know what these people are saying but I'm making millions you know it's just like um, just going on it and it's like every single song is the same dance breakdown it's the same formula it's got um, a singer a little hook and then they've got this build up and the drops and then token rap and then all this other stuff and it's just this clone that a lot of people have been trying to yeah. rehash and it's like see sometimes it can kind of work um, but I don't know it's just most of the time I just it just feels so lazy to me whereas like I'm not saying that this is <laughs> I haven't heard the whole Miley Cyrus album mm -hmm. but those two songs I remember hearing them um, just out of the blue like on the radio and I was actually surprised at how much I actually liked the music of it like it, it's just it seems that there was actually quite a lot of thought gone into mm -hmm. exactly what sounds they'd used how they want the drums to sound and all this kind of stuff and I don't feel there really sounds like there's that much thought in a lot of other 
pop music. Okay, that's yeah. an interesting point. See, Ronnie's. See, Ronnie, that's what happens when you try to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> I think every year, but it always provokes some of cheers, Ronnie, and we'll catch up with you soon. Um, <laughs> let's move on to books, because uh, times are cracking on. I, before I kick off, um, what's your favourite kind of stuff that you've read this year? Right, well, can I say, Rob, uh, yeah. just that I'm probably a little bit out of my depth compared to you guys because <laughs> I, I, I struggle to be able to, like, to even read my phone on most days. Okay, <laughs> so, well, that's fine. Well, you can relax. With a little time, so I'll just step back and listen to you guys okay, talk about books. No well, um, we've talked before on this podcast, I'm really bad at keeping up with new releases book-wise. I think the, uh, like, because I have like ever increasing piles of stuff I pick up from like charity shops and second hand bookshops and everything it's just the pile never seems to end so I always so you get the catch pile up with the bed yeah yeah just... and because I always wait for stuff to come out in paperback generally rather than than buy a hardback so I'm really bad at actually getting stuff in the year that is published so I, there, there's not really much I can talk about that's new this year that came out this year the only I think the only book I bought that was actually published this year was Autobiography by Morrissey okay <laughs> which I have in front of me here um and it was I know it's like people and a lot of people were like you know riled by it coming out on Penguin Classics and it's like did you expect anything less from, from Morrissey it was always going to be a big event the deal, you know, yeah, of sure. course it was going to be you know this combination in many ways Kanye is the, uh, Kanye is the American Morrissey I'm going to say this, <laughs> wow, this unique uh, combination of definitely talented massive ego and like you know the, the ego sometimes kind of saying brought, things which exactly sometimes saying things that maybe people uh, could, could do without them saying but uh, yeah so it, it's you know shocker Morrissey and egomaniacal move mm-hmm. you know um, but I think like the content kind of lives up to it it's certainly um, a, re- a more stylishly written book than many many a rock star in memoir and it's clearly all Morrissey I, there is no ghostwriter yeah, involved sure. here there, there are hits of pure undiluted Morrissey in this if I might find some of the uh some relevant passages. There's a great one where he's talking about his uh, talking about his teachers at primary school. He talks of one Miss Redmond is aging and will never marry and will die smelling of attics. <laughs> Excellent. Which is just you know a, a pure yeah. hit of Morrissey. I, mean, I just love the front cover of it. It's yeah, just, it's just, so smug. I, I honestly <laughs> it's, thought it's when I saw great. the front cover of this for the first time, I thought it was a Photoshop job. I thought some fan had mocked this up when they heard it was going to come out on Penguin Classics. But no, it's the actual cover of the book is like a publicity photo of Morrissey just with the Penguin Classics. Have you read the whole it. thing? I'm part way through. I'll tell you why I'm asking again. Yeah. Uh, is because I read a review of it that said the first part when it says childhood and his, his young life and all that is fantastic and real memoir and then kind of after that it becomes legal battles uh, yeah it it ends up being you know like kind of those bastards what they did to me um so I haven't got it yet. I'm Again, Morrissey in Persecution Complex. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. I'd be interested to see what yeah, um, the final yeah. thing. But. Um, elsewhere, I read, I reread a couple of things. Uh, funnily enough, after Billy Leffert talking about it on the last podcast, I actually reread A Chancer this year. Yeah. Uh, but it was before he did. You know, it struck, struck me as weird that he brought it up because I'd re- read it so recently. I think it's one that gets overlooked so often because it's in that really fruitful period of Kelman, you know, between Bus Conductor Hines and the Disaffection and. Um, yeah, because those are two like kind of totemic books. Mm-hmm. It almost seems to get lost in the middle of them. But it's such a just a totally wonderful. Yeah. Thomas is you know, yeah, Thomas, yeah. Lot. It's amazing. Um, and you know, just young guy living 
in Thatcher era Glasgow, you know, and kind of dealing with all the ramifications of that, like unemployment and and you know, uh, just trying to get by and just so really beautifully rendered. I reread that. I also reread the Master of Ballantrae this year. Oh, uh, excellent choice. Yeah, in honor of all the kind of the Stevenson activity that was going on. Um, it's one that I, I know there has been a film adaptation of yeah, Master of Ballantrae with er, with Errol Flynn, but it. I can't believe that there hasn't been a more faithful one because mm. especially as it goes on and it gets to the end and the the kind of the, the master starts stalking them across continents and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. This globe trotting thing. It, it just seems said, so perfectly cinematic that it's, it's unbelievable that it hasn't you know had a proper translation to the screen yet. Yeah, um, it's feuding brothers, thing. pirates. Yeah, so like yeah. hallucinogenic visions. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's it great. It's like a Nick Cave song or something. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, other than that, uh, in terms of, of actually reading stuff, this isn't technically a book, but I really want to put a show <laughs> for it. It is something that you read. So, uh, The Return of Aikwood, which is uh, an ongoing webcomic, which has been going since 2001. Okay. Uh, it's, it's really one of my favourite, favourite things. Uh, it's created its own little world that you could compare to like Springfield in The Simpsons in its own little world of references and characters and backstories. And Because well, it's been on the go for 12 years now. But... Uh, production more or less stopped on Aikwood they hadn't really put a strip up for about a year and a half and there wasn't really any word as to why and Chris Onstadt the creator has now come back and is now posting a strip every Friday um, and it's great he's come back he's kind of more or less abandoned the, the, the cliffhanger that he left on before yeah, and a couple of other false starting plots but uh, just such a unique way with language and uh, really funny but also really touching it turns out that in the interim uh, once that actually went through a divorce and it's beginning to show in the strips the strips are becoming quite bleak in some places <laughs> uh, and it's kind of I think he started it when he was in his 20s and now he's in his late 30s looking back and you know it feels like the characters haven't aged in the same way that like, yeah. the Simpsons don't age but um, it, you, there's a real sense now of kind of you know youth lost and stuff and kind of reflecting on entering middle age and uh, I mean Aigwood's always had a kind of quite philosophical streak and quite existential streak as well it's definitely not just like an excuse for loads of jokes but uh, yeah I was really glad to see it back and I'm really excited to see where he's going to go with it now and I would thoroughly yeah. recommend the entire archive is still up you can get through it and I mean it'll maybe take you a couple of weeks to catch up on 12 years worth of strips because he was publishing it daily when it started but um, I would thoroughly recommend like going back to the very beginning and making okay. it's all up there just achewood.com A-C-H-E-W-O-O-D.com and reading from the start is uh, is life altering it's, uh, it's really if you've got a, a spare year over the, <laughs> over the Christmas holiday there's your Christmas okay. reading yeah okay just ignore the family and get stuck in exactly yeah um, well I'll just go through some of the, my, the, the best it was odd year last year was an amazing year uh, in Scottish books Scottish novels anyway because some of the big hitters like Warner and Welsh uh, Irvin Welsh that is um, and I had to start trying to think of who else now I, I brought out uh, fantastic books this year has shown the kind of breadth of um, Scottish fiction in particular there's been some amazing uh, novels out that Ronnie mentioned the Bottle Imp um, 20 whatever it is best books or 23 best books and my choice on it was Alice Thompson's Burnt Island. Alice Thompson used to play in a band called The Wooden Tops. Remember The Wooden Tops? The Wooden Tops. Rollo McGinty was the singer. Anyway, I think apparently they're making a comeback. Okay. But she's now, <laughs> she's now a novelist. And uh, I've, I've, her last novel I read was The Existential Detective, which I just had to read for that title. But um, her new one's called Burnt Island, and uh, it's 
it's about writing itself. A writer goes away to the island and um, there's an idea that his previous book's been stolen by someone on the island and it's become a big success. Um, there's lots of references to things like Plato and, uh, and Dracula and all, I mean, really diverse things, but um, every time you, you go back in, you find a new thing to read. It's unashamedly clever. I mean, it's, you know, it's it makes you work. You think, I'm not quite, I know there's a reference here, but I'm going to go and find out what it is. But um, it's a terrific novel and um, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. It was almost pipped for Best Novel of the Year by David Simons. What a great title this is. An Exquisite Sense of What is Beautiful. And... Um, is it a horror? <laughs> it's it's a it's. Is that the fall up to homicide? Horror, yeah, life <laughs> in the streets an exquisite yeah, sense yeah. of what's beautiful. Yeah. It's actually is a beautiful uh, novel. It, it's about a character who is born in Glasgow and then goes down to London and then uh, ends up going over to Japan just after the war. Kind of it's like Madame Butterflies type um, of story. Uh, but the main thing about it is it is just very beautifully written and the. The depictions of Japan in particular are fantastic, and it's got a the, the main character is a writer, and he writes this novel, the waterfall. I won't say, but it might be the water wheel. Can't remember. Um, and you get a bit of that at the end, which is in itself is quite a nice touch. Uh, and it's really just it reminded me of um, oh god, see this is why I have to write everything down. The guy who wrote Clockwork Orange, Anthony Burgess. Anthony Burgess is he, he not not Clockwork Orange, but other books of his. You know this kind of a uh, epic journey of one man's life through all the highs and lows and 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 loves that he had until um, old age. Uh, um, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful depiction of one man's life basically. Um, Rog Glass released a book of short stories called Love, Sex, Travel, Music. And at the time I said, oh, that's not a good title, Roger. But I still don't think it's a good title, Roger. I'm sorry if you're listening to this. But uh, it does, what it, it, that's exactly what it is. It's all about those things. Great short stories. It, he's, he's a great writer anyway, but I think this is, you know, his short stories have taken it to a, a different level. I really do. Um, two novels which reference the whole myth of the Selkie, you know, the, the, the creature who comes from the sea and seduces... Yeah, I, I, I just saw the word Orkney there. Uh, that's where I'm from. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's where the Dreaver bit comes from. So right. That's, that's the, yeah, yeah. Well, the book Orkney was by Amy Shipway and um, it's about an um, older academic who marries one of his young uh, charges. Imagine such a thing happening. Um, and they go to Orkney for the honeymoon. And that's where she's originally from. Right, okay. And, uh, yeah, you get the thing is, she, she keeps going on long walks, and he's not quite, it's really his story, but he's not quite sure what's going on with her. And then he starts to uh, suspect that maybe she's not of, of man-born or something like that, along those lines. But it's a, it's a fantastic, that's not a spoiler, you know that straight from the beginning. It's a really good book. Um, similarly, Linda Crackwell's um, Call of the Undertow, which is actually set in Dunnet, right, at the, in Sutherland. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that. So it's yeah, right, yeah, 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 right at the very top. And a similar thing, a woman goes up there who's, there's been tragedy in her life. She's in Oxford. She goes up there to try and escape. She's a cartographer. So she's going to, uh, she goes to the local primary school to tell them what a cartographer is. She becomes known as the map lady, of course. And, uh, and there's this character, kind of androgynous, 
you know, wraith-like child who she kind of adopts and uh, and things don't go very well from there. But again, you're just not sure. It just plays into that fantastic Scottish, I think mainly North and West Scottish yeah. myth of the... And they were both out this year? Both out this year, That's, yeah. right, that's quite interesting, There's, you know, to have one book based on that yeah. year, you know um, to have two things that are inspired by that it's quite interesting yeah. Yeah. Volcano and Dante's Peak of Scottish literature what's been happening more and more I think it's the things being uh, set in uh, in Highlands and Islands are, are, are you know there's more stuff not only coming out of there but stuff being set up there as well but yeah. for a long time you know nobody did at all I don't think um, Ossian or something like that what was the name of that movie that um it was based on a book, neither of which I can remember the name of. Yeah. With the Scarlett Johansson is now the movie. Under the Skin. Under the Skin. Not out yet. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for it. <laughs> no, I, I, sarcasm. No, no, I really, really can't, can't wait. wait. <laughs> really, really can't yeah. wait. But that's the thing. It's just, it's just quite interesting to think of, you know, um, something like that. When you're saying earlier on, not to keep going back yeah, to films, yeah. but when you're saying earlier on about the idea of like um, more things shining a light on what it's like to kind of live in Scotland mm-hmm. and kind of actually having that as a backdrop that you don't get bored of, that people might actually be excited to see and not have to be, um, you know, subjected to the same things they're used to in like American scenery. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, going up and down the A9. It's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, and part of the reason, not particularly that film, I don't think, but part of the reason that Scotland has been used this year more and more has been, it's cheaper than it was at any other time for people to come over and make films here. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. That was the film where she was in and around Glasgow. Yeah, they filmed her. I saw her outside Sleazy's actually. Because I remember there was, there was actually a news report, or I say news report, or like an entertainment news report about um, how she'd fallen down the street or something and onlookers had gone to help her and be like, oh, isn't she Scarlett Johansson? And apparently they were filming as that was happening. So they just sent her out surreptitiously in like a black wig and just filmed her with hidden cameras. I've seen the stills. So, yeah. yeah. So she is just interacting with people that are out on a night out. Uh, in those early portions of Under the Skin apparently I can't wait for it I love uh, Jonathan Glazer who made uh, Sexy Beast and yeah, yeah. Birth oh, and yeah. it's been about a decade nearly since he, since Birth came out which mm-hmm. was his last film and uh, the reviews for this from the festival circuit have been rapturous you know, so I really cannot wait to see Under the Skin Fantastic. It's a little bit man who fell to earth, from what well, I can so tell. From what I've heard, yeah, it's done in that kind of style. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I really can't wait. But going back to uh, those two books, uh, the opening and Call of the Undertow, what they do, both of them, are fant- they they capture that landscape. You know, the wildness. Not all. I mean, it's not stereotyped, but they they really do manage to capture that. Particularly, I think Call of the Undertow. She really gets what it's like walking on the cliffs and the beaches uh, up there. That's, that's great. Um, <laughs> I need to go check this out. <laughs> Doug Johnson's novel Gone Again um, was, uh, I think, I get a real step forward from, uh, I mean, I like all of Doug's books, but this this was about a missing persons and the kind of terror of if that was to happen in their life, someone goes missing and what happens following that and getting people to take you seriously and uh, and trying to stay calm with your kids and explain what's going on and it's a real horror in a sense of this could happen to anyone and and and, uh, I, and how do you deal with it um, James Robertson's Professor of Truth was very interesting book because it was um, based very very closely on the Lockerbie um, disaster and uh, John Niven have you read did you ever read John Niven's Kill Your Friends, which is set in the music business. And, um, I'm not sure if I have. No, if for, some, have for some reason, the title sounds really familiar to me, but yeah. I think I'm thinking of, um, there's another book, it's like 
I'm thinking of all my friends are going to be strangers. That's okay. Something. It's very. I yeah. think being involved in music, you would find it very interesting. Right, okay. Uh, um, it's a good title. Niven uh, was a and R guy for one of the big record companies. Famously, or at least famously for those that know, he got the he signed up the Mike Flowers Mike Flowers Pops Pops thing that did the cover of Wonderwall to number one and the the book is all about how terrible the music business is and how full of and it's there's very thinly veiled characters who are obviously like Goldie and Sugar Babes and stuff like that it's it's really worth checking out anyway his new novel this year was Single White Male and it's uh, he does what he did for the record business and Kill Your Friends he does for um, film and actually at the world of academics in that because it's a guy who when he was young won a prize for his writing and now does is a script doctor in Hollywood and he is a phenomenal consumer of alcohol and a legendary swordsman and all of those things uh, and yet he's called but he needs to pay off his debt so he's offered this a lectureship at one of the univ- his old university where his ex-wife works and um, it's a, it's Imagine a, a drunk philanderer in academia. Where, where well, the a fantastic. Uh, it's that point that anyone read? You don't say it. Um, there's a fantastic. He writes drunk brilliantly. I mean, he captures that whole. There's a scene where he's going through Soho, and uh, yeah, you just got to read it. It's, it's a really enjoyable read, a really enjoyable read. Um, and a couple of Karen Campbell, who came on one of the podcasts. This is where I am. That's a, that's a really great book set in Glasgow um, about uh, a refugee who comes over and um, is looking for asylum and his life and the person who um, becomes his friend, uh, who's a Glaswegian middle-aged woman. Um, it's a terrific book. But finally, I've talked about Ian Banks and uh, The Quarry because Ian Banks did pass away this year and was probably... One of Scotland's greatest writers. Um, Chris, did you manage to get... Oh, you, you didn't, I, I didn't get around person. to the quarry, no. I, 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 well, I think on about the last Banks book I read, actually, was Steve Reports to Garbadale. I'm a couple behind yeah. on, on, on... I would say it wasn't his best, um, because his best is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the bridge and things like that, we know that. But if you're an Ian Banks fan, you really have to, to read it, because he knew he was ill when he was writing it, and... Uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very moving and uh, apt uh, farewell, I think, from a um, couple of other books that weren't novels I, I want to mention. Vic Galloway's book, Songs in the Key of Fife, which is a great title. <laughs> and it's all about the um, the St Andrews scene and yeah. the fence and all that stuff. And he was, I didn't realise how central he was involved in that. Um, I think he was the first person to ever actually tell me about that that even existed yeah well he was in bands with a lot of the guys and stuff uh, things like that so uh, uh, it's it's worth checking out if you like your uh, that kind of music Um, Tom Doyle did a book called McCartney A Man on the Run McCartney in the 70s which I was asked which I was given to review and it's actually a brilliant uh, take on if it captures McCartney end, end of the Beatles not quite sure what to do legal tying up all his money in Kintyre, wanting to be a gentleman farmer and just kind of having a nervous breakdown, really. And then ends, obviously, in the late 70s. Um, does it cover? Yeah, it covers the death of Lenin and uh, how he has to deal with that. And it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. even if you don't like the music that was made at that time, one of the 
most famous men in the world going through this kind of real period of not sure who he is or what he is and trying to define himself against this previous, you know, more than a friend. Um, and it kind of makes clear that, you know, I think neither of them were ever quite the same without the other, Lennon and McCartney, but that's a discussion for another day, perhaps. Uh, and finally, if you're thinking about what to get the kids you know, like, uh, I read Ali Smith's done a book on the story of Antigone for the young readers, uh, and it's it's a beautiful thing. I highly recommend that. I just got my copy recently, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, take on uh, that classic Greek myth. Um, so give to the more depressive teenagers who like writing, I would say. Um, well, I think that's about it. I think it's time for us to wrap up for another year. Uh, Chris, thank you again for coming along. Thanks for having me again. And Ryan, thank you very much for doing this at quite a short notice, but I really appreciate right. it. Thanks for giving me a shout. Good. And Ian, thanks uh, to you. Thumbs up from Binder. Thanks, of course, to Ronnie Young for getting things heated. The, the <laughs> exclamation. Never that will ever And um, we will be back, uh, I think, in the new year now with uh, new people and something completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.